This is the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. I am your host, John Maddox. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to the show. I'm here with Dave Temko from C2 Financial, the largest mortgage broker in the nation by volume, right? That's right. All right, so let's get started. All right, so I guess the first question is, what's it like being the owner of one of the, or the biggest mortgage brokers in America? What's that like? Well, it's, it's a great feeling. Like you said, I am an owner, and um, it takes an incredible team, you know, right. corporate staff, executive management. And it really is a collective you know, effort of all of our originators, um, AEs, processors, Right. Um, title escrow companies, I mean, and ultimately our borrowers, you know, that come to us and come to our LOs for right. for loans. And it's just been a long time coming. We've all worked super hard to be here. Yeah, you guys have been around a while, right? I mean, you guys started back, gosh, I remember uh, hearing about C2, God, what was it, 2010 maybe? Or what, what, when did it kind of get your start uh, on it? Yeah, so I started the corporation back in, I think it was 2007. Okay. So right when the market had turned, I was like, I'm going to start this corporation. It was kind of a shell before I really wanted to get things going when I felt things were coming back around. Yeah. So it really kind of trickled over. Um, I got an office with a lot of space and I was the only one in there. And then over time, I started recruiting yeah. corporate staff and started bringing on LOs and bringing on obviously the lenders. And, um, it just grew from there just kind of organically and brought us to where we are now, which is just, it's an incredible place. It feels really good. Um, yeah. How many LOs do you have now? I would say roughly, cause I'm sure it changes. Day I would by day, say right? we're probably around like between 800 and a thousand loan officers, something wow. like that. Wow. And yeah. we all know loan officers, we as loan officers, can sometimes be prima donnas, you know, <laughs> or we like, you know, we like to, to demand things. And so, you know, you have, you have the, the wide range, right? You have the, the LOs you never hear from, and then you have the LOs that are like, you know, always yeah. like in your face. So I'm sure with that many LOs, it's gotta be, I know you don't, you know, run every single day to day operation, but, um, I'm sure you hear some stories, right? Like it's, yeah, it's funny. I mean, you have the, you have, we have a range of LOs that are doing maybe one a month right. or 30 a month or 50 a month or whatever that might be. And of course the, the LO that's doing one a month, well, that's a very important loan to him. Yeah, and right. I mean, don't get me wrong. The one that's doing 30 or 50 loans, those are all very important to him or her as well. Right. But it's, um, they have a, a little bit of a different bandwidth to kind of understand the nuances of what it's taking right now to get a deal through what have you. So, right. But we, you know, the loan officer is our client and we have our best efforts to make sure that they're well satisfied and get their deal through. I mean, that's a lot of that's on the lenders, our relationship with lenders and their AE, but, um, we get the checks in and the payouts out as fast as we possibly can, which is what's important to them too. So that's great. And, and the trends I would ask, like, are, are, are you obviously the rates are ridiculous right now. Definitely. Um, are you guys seeing pretty, is it a lot of government or is it mostly Fannie Mae? Like what kind of, do you have an idea of trends on kind of what, what uh, percentages of loans you guys are doing? I'm sure it's mostly Fannie Freddie. God, that stuff's yeah. so cheap right now. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, I mean, it's all getting bought off on secondary market to those, you know, yep. the, the Fed is buying the bonds. We have Fannie Freddie that's packaging that, that stuff up and taking that stuff. Um, but I mean, it, it really, ranges and that's the beauty of us being a broker we've got you know 100 plus lenders that allow us to be competitive in any market you know whether or not one's being competitive and then the market and the others out so right you know it just depends on what 
the nuances are to that borrower and making sure that they're finding the best lender. And that's what yeah. our broker channel can do. Yeah. I think, you know, there's been a trend with brokers growing. I remember, you know, before the crash, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was similar. It was, there was, there was a lot of brokers that were trending up. And then after the crash, it was like all retail and a lot of lenders. Right. And so I, I know you've probably know this intimately is in the last say five years, especially there's been a trend towards mortgage brokers. Like people are leaving the, uh, I don't want to name names, but the lenders, the big box lenders out there and they're, and they're coming to be independent brokers. The way I see it is, is in a, in a way, it's kind of like it's a terrible example. So forgive me, <laughs> but like a hairdresser that is like, I don't need the clients to be, you know, I don't need the, the front store to get the clients. I have my own clientele. I'm going to go now start my own thing, but I need a kind of like a, you know, a backing in a way, you know, a C2. Like a Phoenix salon, right? Right, right. <laughs> Where you can run it, but you know, it's like, so are, do you think the bro your brokers are more like, 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 fran like it's a franchise in a way they're in, 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 in a sense, cause they're running their own shop, but they're under your umbrella in a sense, right? Well, they're very much entrepreneurs. Right. Um, we provide them, and it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, you're coming from, if you're coming from the mortgage banking, the MLO channel or that mortgage banking platform, um, generally it's a seasoned loan officer that's ready to cut the cord with that security blanket of yep. leads, of, you know, a cush office and having, but ultimately there's a lot of things that come with that. Right. That could very well be red tape. It could be corporate egos and, you know, this middle management, middle management and, and hammering round pegs into square holes every day. You know right. what I mean? It's like what you see is, is not always what you get there on their end. There's padding on rate sheets or, you know, it's and they're getting sure. squeezed. So right. what we do is what you see is what, exactly what you get. There's no padding on any rate sheets. Um, and if, there is, which there isn't, you can go to a hundred other lenders. You know, like sure. I said, if if one underwriting's line's backed up, well then guess what? You have this place to go. Way more options. Way yeah. more options. And that's really what we do is these our our loan officers, they don't want their handheld and we're not here to do that for them. Right. We basically give them all the tools mm -hmm. outs and and we have the compliance. So make sure that they are operating in the fashions needed for, you know, consumer purposes. Today's day and age, you exactly. got tons of, tons of regulation. Exactly. Yeah. So all the regulatory is taken care of. We provide all that stuff. We give them access to all the best lenders to be the most competitive and provide any client that comes to their door with the best loan. So it's an interesting model. It's very compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like anybody that's had a job that's kind of working on a side project or something that wants to be an entrepreneur. Well, this is an opportunity for them to really be an opportunity in a career that they're already really striving in, That's but, cool. even, but can make even more doing. I, I, you mentioned something about like, you know, getting away from the office and with, with COVID, I imagine there's all these people that are like, you know, I'm not in the office anymore. I got to, they're working from home and they're like, why am I paying, you know, getting this split or whatever from whatever. So it's gotta be, you gotta have, I'm sure a trend towards that where people are like, I can just work from home and do loans and I don't need to pay the big overhead, you know, of an office or have this. So might as well come do something with a, like a C2, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. It's almost like a silver I'm lining. I'm sure C2's helped you guys. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, um, it's almost a small silver lining in this because we were perfectly positioned. Our loan officers are perfectly positioned. You know, a lot of them have, you know, their own executive suites or they run a team or they work from home. Right. And, you know, they're very independent and they can still get loans done. And, we're, I mean, 
interest rates are low, property values are still strong, and people are generally, some of them, not all of them, but are still making good money and can afford um, and can qualify for a refinance. So it's, right. it's, I don't know, we're kind of like in a, I don't want to say a perfect storm, but we're in a position where we can kind of hunker down and do pretty well through this. And I think it's a great place to be from a profession standpoint right now. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Okay, cool. So, um, we had a little snafu, the, the mic died. So, um, I wanted to ask you because commercial lending as a mortgage broker to me has always been fascinating. It's like, you know, we got the, the resi stuff, right. And I, and I say that begrudgingly because, you know, more residential mortgage brokers don't call it resi. And when I talk to uh, commercial guys, they're always like, Oh, you do resi, you know? And you're like, yeah, I do resi, you know, but, but, um, commercial lending is cool because it's like big loans. A lot of them are big loans. They're sophisticated borrowers. A lot of the people that own commercial property have a big like a massive house or, you know, or, or, uh, you know, jumbo home, a jumbo loan. So it, it naturally kind of makes it so you want to partner with a commercial broker so that you can get those referrals, you can refer them, and it just kind of makes a kind of a cool referral relationship. As far as uh, you know, getting into commercial, because I know you started with residential, right? Mm-hmm. How did you get into commercial? And tell me a little bit about your journey into that space. Yeah, it, it kind of was um, identified you know, that I wanted to get into commercial in after the market crash of you know the, oh, the global financial crisis right. or and um i uh i jumped into that because i saw a mentor that was in the residential mortgage industry had a mortgage company and was kind of pulling his hair out going holy shit you know this is what crazy and it's... then i looked at another guy that was in the commercial space and was just kind of steady eddy and i go all right that's the direction I want to go right now. Right. So I jumped into commercial brokerage, you know, put my nose on the grindstone, was in a boiler room, dialing for mm-hmm. dollars, mean and green kind of a situation. And that evolved into kind of finding a really good hybrid space coming from the residential mortgage brokerage background and being raised in that and wanting to be in commercial. I found that commercial finance was a good hybrid and that was kind of like my calling. Yeah. Um, so I went through commercial banking and then back into commercial brokerage. And I just felt that as a broker, you have the ability to be a better service for your clients just because you have options. I mean, our job right. as a broker is to create options and it's not one size fits all anymore. Right. Um, so I've worked with every kind of COI per se um, mm-hmm. across the board through my career. And I found that the residential mortgage broker was by and large, the largest referral partner that I've worked with. That's cool. Um, yeah, and it was you, great. And you refer uh, residential deals back to them? Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's a two-way street. Yeah, so like the, the, the guy who owns commercial property is going to have probably a jumbo loan, and then that's, that's probably a really great way to get, if you're in my chair, if you're in a mortgage broker's chair, I'm not a mortgage any, broker anymore, but I remember the days of wanting to get those referrals, those big jumbo referrals. Definitely. And that's part of what our podcast, right, is like we're trying to get, like how do you get big, big jumbo loans. Mm-hmm. So partnering with a, a commercial broker is got to be one of the best ways because you could probably tee it up right to that mortgage broker. Like, Hey, I got a, um, client for you. Um, they have a, you know, a five year, five, one arm and it's at four and three quarters and it's, and it's coming due and they're going to adjust. I need you to get his refi done and here's the stuff, right? Like you would just tee it right up for them, you know, and then vice versa, obviously you'd want back like, Oh, I found on my 1003, a scheduled real estate, this guy has an eight-unit eight property, I can't do it, or he's a mixed use, or he's a business owner, 
and I need to refer it back to you. Is that kind of how it works? Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's really a kind of a comprehensive kind of overview, like a deep dive for a client. You know, you're looking at, I mean, you're looking to assess an an opportunity to help them, and also, right. you know, further first and most, you want to make sure that all their loans are in the best position possible. Right. Um, so I'm looking at scheduled real estates all the time, and predominantly commercial real estate. But yeah, people definitely own homes, and that's you know where they live, and and the properties that they have, or the business that they have, or the job they have supports that. So right. um, you can see like, hey, what's that rate? And you know, I can tap on a, on a partner's shoulder and say, hey, is this kind of where the market is for a deal like that? Right. And at least you know, hey, I think it adds a lot of value because totally. it's taking kind of an alternative approach for a client going, hey, I know I'm focused on your eminent need right now, which is me doing a commercial loan or as, right. a, as a, a residential loan, so me just doing your residential loan. Have you considered, I noticed that you're sure. at this rate or something like that. And it's like, well, I didn't, you know, clients are kind of caught off guard. Like, oh, I'm, I never thought you did that. Or yeah. I never thought you had a partner that could help with that. And it just allows them to kind of take a different approach and really deepen that relationship. Yeah, like a holistic which, approach that you can add value back absolutely, to that client. Absolutely. And then when you do that, that client, it, something happens in their brain. I think they just, for some reason, think of you differently. They're like, oh, wow, this person has more. They're adding more value to me. They're adding more. You know, they're helping me. They have a, a bigger <clears throat> kind of a global perspective on my financial picture. So you, instead of just becoming the the one LO that helps them in this one deal, now you're like kind of like a overall, like a financial advisor. Absolutely. Say, right. And you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. It's totally like an advisory type role. I mean, you're not advising them on investing their, their money, like on an, like, like right. on a money market. Right. But I mean, these assets and the finance, um, it can drive a return. It can drive, you know, how they live their life. You know, yeah. it, it really can change the landscape and, and kind of the path that they can take going forward and capitalizing on where the market conditions are before and having, you know, our fingers, our ears, are, our, you know, our fingers on the pulse, our ears to the rail. We know yeah. that's our business. Right. You know, I'm in the commercial space and have a, a residential mortgage brokerage company with, you know, a thousand loan officers that are you know, rock stars that do really well. And I tap on their, as, as they come to me with opportunities, I try to spin it right back and give them those. That's cool. Um, and just make it a team kind of, you know, all ships rise, you know, yeah. kind of situation. And, and ultimately the clients getting the best service. It's what it's all about. And it feels good because you want to know that you take good care of your clients right. and, and there's no better, there's no better compliment than a referral. If you take care of your clients, they're going to tell their friends. 100%. And if they're and if and they're running in similar circles. So if oh, it's an affluent sure. client that has commercial real estate or owns businesses, they're in that same circle. For sure. And you're getting those calls. Like, "Hey, you did a great job for so and so." And he gave me your number. She gave me your number. Like, yeah, absolutely. So glad That's they the put us in touch. Thing. That's the best feeling. It's the, best. It's, it's the most rewarding. Totally. It's, it's so great. And that just happens with time. You yeah. know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um but it definitely does happen with the the LO that we have at C2 for yeah, sure. That's cool. So um, C2, uh, you have all the products, the, the, the tons of different products plus commercial. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about kind of why do you think people are leaving retail and going going over to be a broker? Like you you might have some intel on that since you you guys get you get the the benefit of having brokers leave retail. Do you? Do, I mean, I imagine the conversation must be like, okay, I'm leaving a bank or I'm leaving a big lender, big box lender, and now I want to become a broker. Do what are some of the benefits that you guys pitch? Freedom. Yeah. Number one, 
yeah. you know, freedom to get rid of those golden handcuffs, golden handcuffs <laughs> out the door. Yeah. You're cutting, cutting the cuffs. So, so you think brokers are expanding. There's, there's that's, there's a big trend. It's like a, uh, one of our guys here calls it the, um, the broker Renaissance. It's I like, like that. there's a lot of brokers, right? Come, people leaving and maybe, you know, if there's seasons, maybe they were a broker back before the crash. Maybe they went to be a, uh, a lender during the during the kind of the rise back up after the post post crash right and then i'm curious because covid has changed some stuff brokers are winning though in covid right i would say so our i mean by our numbers i'd say they are right <laughs> i think they're doing really well yeah uh, they have choices lot, yeah there's they have choices. choices there's a lot of you know freedom. a lot of freedom a lot of lenders um one lender's backed up we've got another one right behind you know one lender's backed up there's 99 behind it you know right. so it's it's allowing somebody to pivot and really be quick and nimble um and access a lot of very competitive financing for their clients so i it's not for everyone but i think if you're at that space and you're kind of on the fence about whether or not you're going to cut cord from being a uh, you know, a mortgage banker, a retail banker, a mm -hmm. retail loan officer going to the broker channel, then I'd say to come on over, you know, go for yeah. it. But that's, but that's me. And that's my mentality. You Step have to have in that the water. It's nice. <laughs> it's warm. Get a, be, be <laughs> Get a brokers are better, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, so you do commercial deals. Like you, you were talking about how, uh, with C2, you, you know, you get referrals to the commercial side. Um, there's got to be so part of our podcast is we're very big on how to expand your your referral business. So right now, with rates so low, it's there's low hanging fruit. People are busy. They're not probably even listening to podcasts because they're so busy trying to get loans done. But when they come back to saying, "Hey, I need to find loans," like where are some really good referrals? Maybe the one we talked about before, which was a commercial and a resi mm -hmm. you know, partnering. What else do you think is a good kind of referral partner? Um, I, I mean, financial planners are good. Yeah, no, I've worked Realtors. with, I've worked with every kind of what's called, C, you know, COI center of influence, right. a coin term. And I've, I've worked with every single one, whether it be real estate attorneys, financial advisors, CPAs, you name it. And, um, I think that people are, that are in the financial space, like the, the, the lending space or, are, are going to have a more cohesive referral setup. Obviously the transact, like, I mean, if you're doing the finance and you can partner with the residential agent, then right. for sure you're going to be, you're basically making their deals happen. Right. They're getting a listing or they got a buyer. They need a prequal. They need that buyer to get financing and make that deal happen. So, um, you're the crux of yeah. that transaction. Oh, and they'll get, they'll let you know. They'll let you know. <laughs> and if you screwed up, they'll let you know, but that, you know, and, <laughs> but, um, but generally that's going to be, you know, a pretty strong referral source, especially when the market changes and, and maybe rates go up, it's because the market's improving. And so the Fed feels that rates, they can increase rates because sure. it, the market will support it or will bear it. And then at that stage, you're going to want to have those relationships with your residential mortgage or residential loan or residential, you know, agent that's representing buyers or sellers. Right. You're going to want to have that. You're going to want to be the guy that's, or the gal that's the pre-qualified lender that's in the open house, or you're on the line with the buyer and getting them sure. pre-qualified because every offer needs to come in with a pre-qual letter, yeah. you know, otherwise, and, and some proof of funds and you're, you're right there. Right. So, um, there's that, I mean, I work with commercial real estate brokers for a long time, but resident, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, collectively you guys can, you, the people in that space can really have, 
um, can really work well and provide that team kind of focus. And not just focus on one type of thing, like spread it out a little bit, right? Get, get a couple referral sources. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely multiple types of referral sources. Um, but I think that people that are in touch with real estate, you know, at some capacity are going to be able to do that probably more than, you know, just your financial advisor that's trying, because a financial advisor has never helped me on the commercial side because they, they always want their clients to sell their assets and put their money under management, you know, versus (laughs) exchange and help me finance it or exchange and have a, you know, a commercial broker do a 1031 exchange of another property. So there's, you know, there's different motives, but. Yeah. And you know, one thing I found was, uh, if you have a non-depository, if you're a broker, you're non-depository, right? So, um, Let me, let me kind of break that down. So, I'm familiar. Yeah. So, like, if if you know you work for Wells Fargo, they're gonna they're gonna steer someone to like an asset man, like an asset manager, who is gonna say, you know, put your money here, right? Like, put your money with us. But like, if you find independent like asset managers that aren't depository or banks, then you can partner with them as a broker because you're also non-depository. That's yeah. And then there's a real cool synergy there because they're like, you know, they're the they're the enemy, totally. right? Because they're going to take the money away from the asset manager because they and to, to get them a lower rate on their mortgage. Mm-hmm. Whereas a mortgage broker could say, well, I could put you with a Wells product or this product, um, but you don't have to put your money over there. You can just keep it here with your. So there's all. I think that that's the the one. Thing that I think would be good for you know partnering with an asset or a financial advisor, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, the goal of the bank of an institutional bank is really the cross sell, right. and um, that jumbo product puts them as their first you know claw into that client. That's their the client that they're after. With those, you know, if you're looking at a jumbo type borrower, yep. they're probably going to have that those assets that they can put under management or they have a business or they have all those components, which allows them to really cross sell and deepen that relationship. So they're going to bend their back on a, on a jumbo rate to get them in the door and then boom, you're out of a client. Like that's, they're in the fold with a bank and people generally, I think like to simplify their life. They're like, Hey, I've got my loan here. I got my my deposits here. It's on auto pay. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. so from an independent financial advisor, then working with an independent mortgage broker, mm-hmm. um, I think is a great, you know, there's a lot Keep of- Keep it away from the banks, yeah. Yeah, It's good. Um, so there's, we're in election year. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's turmoil, a lot of turmoil. And without getting into too many politics, um, you know, the mortgage brokers are doing well, obviously. Mm-hmm. The rates are good. You know, not if you're trying to save money, they're not good, but you know, People are buying buying real estate like crazy. People are buying commercial properties, or is that slowed down a little bit? Yeah, it has slowed down a bit, um, but it's still pretty active. I mean, I think people that have the capital to put to work are are pouncing on those opportunities. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing some good deals. I'm seeing my, some clients come through, and I'm helping finance good opportunities. I'm like, that's a good looking deal, you know? Yeah. Um, are they good products? Like, can you do what's like the minimum down to buy a commercial property? Let's say you wanted to buy like a owner user office or something. So I get this question all the time from residential loan officers. Hey, I've got a client that wants to buy this property, Mm -hmm. this apartment building or this office building, and they want to put 20% down. I go, I get that, you know, me me too, but that's not how it really works. You got to look at the property Mm -hmm. as if it's the bar, the, the borrower 
like like a borrower has DTI to buy a house, while well, property the has flow. the bar the the property has the DSC to support the loan. Mm. So it's a function of the cash flow of that property that will determine the loan amount mm. that it can support, right. and then ultimately the down payment between that loan amount and what the purchase price is. Makes sense. So the minimum you're gonna be able to put down is generally 25%. If you're buying a property in California, it's definitely not gonna be 25%. 35, it's, maybe. It's gonna be 35, yeah, 30, 35, 40, something like that. I mean, if it's coastal, yeah. a stone's throw to the beach, I mean, cap rates are compressed. I mean, the returns, it, it's gonna take up, it's it's basically just putting your money in a safe holding. You know, yeah. it's like, because you're not getting a return at the bank, so you might as well get, you know, a two and a half or maybe a 3%, you know, by the beach on an apartment building. So that's the way right, some right. people look at it like that. So, um, but there's there's definitely still opportunities out there, and I think, there's probably some money sitting on the sidelines that are waiting mm-hmm. for opportunities to come out after this ripple effect starts to happen from people losing their jobs, yep. the government shelling out a ton of cash. I mean, there's gonna the buck's gonna have to stop somewhere, and so it'll you don't be think interesting they'll just keep printing money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. What's another trillion? Uh, what's another trillion? I mean, inflation, the numbers of inflation look good and people are still spending. So it's, there's no deflation. Why is so. there no inflation? I guess that's the whole economic podcast you go into. But, yeah. you know, do you think there'll be inflation at some point because of all this trillions of, you know? I mean, I'm no economist, but. Um, <laughs> you would I mean, think so, right? You would think, one would think. It's yeah. You hear the you know the the crazy stories of our parents. You know you're we're kind of similar age. I have more gray hair than you, but <laughs> but like you know our you know our parents are similar age, and you probably remember hearing like their their mortgage rate was thirteen percent, ten percent, and you know obviously inflation that was trying to stop inflation, right? I just I, I'm waiting for that to happen again. I just don't know when it's going to happen. It's like you know, but but when you start seeing the Fed open up its checkbook and you see these trillions coming out, right? We didn't see that with the, it was billions and billions. I don't know how many, was it back in the TARP days? It was, I think it was a trillion or it was close to that. There was hundreds of millions of billions of dollars being shelled out. Now it's in the trillions, right? So yeah. I didn't see any inflation happen. Although some prices went up on things, you know, there's this hidden inflation of real estate, right? Real estate values keep going up. Um, so I don't know. I think it's going to come at some point, right? Uh, yeah, it's a crystal ball thing. I mean, it's going to have to come at some point. Something's going to have to give. Um, I don't. I hope we don't have to go to like you know the grocery store with a shopping f- cart full of cash to <laughs> right. get a shopping cart full of groceries. But it's, dude, groceries it's have definitely gone up. Yeah, for sure. Which is interesting because Amazon bought you know Whole Foods. Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah. So you think that everything would get less expensive? Get less expensive. But then again, they have a monopoly on it, so who knows? Yeah, um, I. I I don't do all my grocery shopping at the, uh, rarely do I do grocery shopping at my house, but when I do, I'm always like, wow, I spent a lot of money at the yeah. grocery store. Could be the wine. It could be the wine. Uh, it could be the wine. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but um, speaking of ac- economics, what do you think, uh, what's your best guess, if you were to have a guess on the rest of the year? Like, Do you think things will get better? Rates will get lower? Do you think- Low, low rates. Low rates are going to sure. stay low. For sure. Um, do you think they'll get lower? Because like, because what's happening is there's this, these huge waves of refis, right? Mm-hmm. Because the rate dropped a half a point or whatever, then it sort of dies down. Like yeah. the refis start to die, die down a little bit. 
But then it's like a, then another dip in rates, and so then there's another wave of refis, right? How low do you think it can go? Um, I think we'll probably get more acclimated with the space in, with rates in the twos. Um, I think that'll probably be a more common, you know, site. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine something's going to get like in the one. I mean, the treasuries are, are low, you know, yeah. the treasuries are sub 1%. They're sub, you know, like a two years point one. Or it, it really, honestly though, when it comes down to it, they're just going to put floors on it. Yeah. So regardless of where treasuries move, you're just going to have lenders that are going to put floors on where they're pegging the treasuries because they're still, a lender still has to make a return. Right. So unless the government's giving out cash at 0%, a lender's still going to mark it up to some extent. They have to, right. I mean, they have to put, you know, butts have to be in seats. They have to make money for people to have jobs to actually put these loans on the books. Right. So we're going to see, I, I think it's possible. We're already seeing rates in the twos. I think that could be a more commonality. I think as we come out of this COVID to kickstart the economy, to keep things back going, I definitely don't see rates going up. It's yep. going to be some time. And you said, you know, there's going to be an election. Yeah. Um, who knows if we still have COVID? Who knows if we still have all these things right after that? You know, right. I don't know. <laughs> that's a right? different, that's, we don't a different know. that's another it's story. A big, it's a big, uh, <laughs> We're not solving that problem it's today. It's a big mystery, right? <laughs> totally. And, and, you know, it's crazy to think, you know, we don't have better candidates, right? I mean, it's like this, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But, um, what 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 are your kind of what's your prediction if let's say Biden wins? What do you think happens with rates? What do you think happens with the real estate market? Um, well, it's looking that way if you believe the numbers, right? From a commercial standpoint, I think he's trying to do away with the 1031 exchange, which is not good. Which or take those funds and reappropriate them to something else, um, which is definitely not good from a transaction standpoint right. on definitely the commercial space. And that's gonna, I mean, it's really. I don't think that's good for the market. Um, so that's one thing. So I'm not a fan of that. Right, um, right. Because, yeah. To, but do you think that would be – do you think you'll get that passed? Do you think that's possible to get rid of the 1031? That's been a big deal. I mean – I'd like to say no, but, you know, but crazier things have happened. I mean, yeah. you have a huge um, group – of a collective group of people that are trying to take a lot of money away from people that have been making it for some time and right. seen appreciation and seen value and recapture that. Right. Um, and reappropriate that to somewhere else less, you know, that needs it per se, or is less, you know, a group that's less fortunate, you know, right. what have you. Um, I'm not going to get in the morality of that, but I don't think, I mean, those people have earned that money yeah. and this country was built on capitalism. And I think that those people have taken that risk. They saw the opportunity and they've realized mm -hmm. that appreciation and they're deserving of it, right. you know, and they should be, and, and they should be able to take that and allow a transaction to take place and allow them to transfer out of one asset into another that's better su suited for their, for their right. investment strategy. I see that all the time. People go from apartments to triple net lease deals because, they're over the management and that allows somebody else to come in mm -hmm. and buy an apartment building and fix it up and make a better place for people to live that need apartments. Right. So, yeah, cause if it, if, if you take that away, what, what a lot of the consequences that people don't see are things like you take away that benefit. Now prices go up, right? So apartment buildings, rent will go up if you take away the 1031 exchange. Most likely that's an unforeseen effect of that particular policy. Yeah. We have rent control in California, which so, is a yeah, whole nother yeah. situation, but right. Or, or maybe then people don't buy it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's an asset class that's like, why, it, why deal with a headache? Yeah, so maybe, you know, there are, what I'm just trying to say is there's unforeseen consequences when stuff like that happens. Definitely. And and so, you know, we talked about with, with Biden wins. So the the underdog, so they say in the uh, in the media, which was Trump, <laughs> if he wins, which can we believe the numbers? We don't know. But um, if he wins, do you think what happens with the economy, what happens with, you know, I, I know he's talked about and he's already done, you know, he's cut some regulations, cut some some stuff. What do you think happens if Trump wins again? I, know, I, I really don't see that much of a difference between the two, you know, the, the outcome of the two, other than the fact that things that we're dealing with now could change if something sways a different direction than what we're currently at, you know, yeah. given who's in position. Yeah. Um, but rates should probably still stay but I think low. Rates, I, think, I definitely think rates are going to stay low. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the jobs are going to start to come back. You know, I'm already, you know, seeing more traffic on the roads, which means people are going to work more. That's always kind of a telltale. Like, wow, the traffic's crazy. The job market must be good, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, and as I see, you know, more traffic, it's kind of a clear indication one mm -hmm. way or the other. Um, I don't really see that much change in terms of going either way. Yeah. Um, as far as rates or and far as rates, as far as, you know, an economic, you know, and nothing's going to change overnight from an economy standpoint. Yeah, I think our economic, our, our economy has been healthy, mm -hmm. right? The real estate market's healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, there probably are some bubbles and some corporate things, but, um, but the, yeah, people are working, people are getting money. They're going to spend it. There's going to be a good economy. Like no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the current party's position was to bring jobs home. Yeah. And, um, I think that if Has that happened from what you've seen, I would think so. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, between, you know, things that are happening overseas and trying to bring manufacturing back to California or back to America for that matter. Right. I mean, I, a lot of those jobs are, are gone. I mean, that's not happening. I mean, we're yeah. just, a lot of those stuff is just not coming back. You can't compete because people won't, aren't willing to pay or, or earn what, you know, what others are willing to to take to mm -hmm. get something made. Sure. Um, and that's a whole nother situation. Manufacturing typically follows poverty and there's been a lot of poverty in places, but which creates opportunity and things are made there. And then mm -hmm. you, then you have an emerging middle class and you have an upper class and you can really drive an economy that's that way. That's driven to India, I think too. India. I mean, China now you have a sure. huge Chinese middle class now. Right. I mean, it's definitely changed, which is interesting because it's like a communist <laughs> state and it's like they have, you know, that's, I mean, we can get tin hat on this stuff, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that evolves. And yeah, you're right. Like India is, a, I mean, there's a couple billion people there, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of, and the infrastructure is lacking. There's a lot, you know, but there's, so there's a lot of opportunity to grow there. I've been there. It's pretty wild. If you want to, if Me you too. want something, the polar opposite from a culture standpoint, oh my from God, where yes. we're at in, in, in San Diego and California, I, I you mean, go to India. When <laughs> I don't know if I want to say this, but um, I will say it because when I went to India, maybe you experienced the same thing. I'd love to hear your side of this. When I went to India and I came back, I had a whole different opinion of homeless people. And because in India, you have no choice. You know, you, you literally are there and you have your, your lot in life, basically. You don't, have a, you don't have a way to get out. I mean, I think with in the last 10 years, there's been some changes right in India. But, some slum dog millionaires. Yeah. There's been some, some changes, <laughs> but, but I went, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. So it was, 
I got to see what it was like in a country that you couldn't change your lot in life. You basically were there, and that's who you were. It was like a caste system. Yes, very much. And and then I came back, and I'd you know done my, you know my dad's a minister, so I grew up you know donating or giving to the homeless, making mm-hmm. sandwiches for the, doing all that stuff, right? And I've had the experiences where I've helped try to help the homeless and have things thrown in my face from the homeless because they didn't want they didn't like mustard you know on their sandwich, and I, I, so I've had that experience, yeah. right? And that's my experience, you know. Maybe there's others' experiences, but my experience was that. And then I went to India. And then I saw the, the difference and then I came back and I was like, it was just a, it was a, it was a, it's like when someone goes through a car accident, you can't, you can't really tell someone, Hey, be careful driving or don't text and drive because you don't know what it's like going through a car accident, but like go to India, experience that and come back to America and then tell me you don't like America, right? Like you have to be able to see a contrast between two things to really know, um, you know, and that, that's just my experience. What was your experience in India? Yeah, I mean, I was backpacking around like I was 23. It was, you know, over 10 years ago. So it was quite a different situation. I was kind of just shoestringing, you know, like staying at hostels and doing all that stuff. But I um, I went there. I had built up a, a good amount of patience, you know, just kind of traveling just with a backpack. And then I actually knew that India was going to be difficult just to do on a solo mission. And I actually had my dad come meet me out there, mm-hmm. and he was coming in on a completely different wavelength. <laughs> and um, Indian food. <laughs> I mean, he loves that, and we had a great time. But it's like people, no matter, you know, just the way you look, they think you're a walking ATM. You know, they every yeah. they want to get a piece, and you're not. There's no way you're going by without them going. Hey, I need something from you. You have to give me something. So that was kind of an experience, and I was pretty patient with it. But my dad, That's he, he like had a harder time a with homeless, it. Homeless, right? You go into certain homeless areas in, in America, you have the people panhandling and asking yeah, for this and that. Totally. But in India, it's different. I mean, it's the similar. There's similarities, but the, but you're like, I mean, did you experience the thing where they couldn't really change their 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 lot in life? I mean, they, yeah, no, absolutely. I experienced that. You're right. Is the caste system, and you know, you have you're going to check out, you know you know, like the, the Taj Mahal and you're having a driver and you have a kind of a personal conversation and he goes, it's super hard for me to find someone because I have to find someone within my cast system. I can't marry with outside of my cast. And so that's something that we just don't experience. We don't I mean, even understand. I mean, really. don't get me wrong. There's probably some blue blooded, you know, arranged situations in, in America that exist that we just don't see, or maybe we're just not part of, right. you know? Um, but it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich girl as it is a poor one or vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's just something that we don't experience. Like it's, there's not a caste system here. Um, I mean, but like you said, it does give you perspective in terms of coming back to where we are and how blessed we are and the opportunities that we have yep. that might not be readily available to people that are in those countries. And that's why I think immigrants make up like a, a vast majority of successful entrepreneurs in the United States, they come right. here with nothing and they do it from their bootstraps. They don't even know the language. They don't even know the language, but they have no alternative but to s- succeed. Cause it was like, that's, they just don't have an alternative. Right. And, um, I had a great time in India. It was definitely an experience. My dad's a big, <laughs> my dad's a big acronym guy. Mm-hmm. And he came up with one. He said, India, I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny, yeah. but, um, yeah. I, we had a good time. I don't know if I can get him to go. I clearly can't get him to go back, but it was one for the books. <laughs> That's funny. I like it. Um, all right. So, uh, the, one of the last questions I always ask my, um, guests is 
you know, as, as entrepreneurs, as, as people, we have failures, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always like to know, you know, because you've been through failures, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And there's probably one that stands out in your mind that maybe taught you something or maybe taught you never to do that again or maybe it's like now I need to do things differently. Would you share with us one that, that uh, maybe a favorite failure? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the career one. Yep, yep. <laughs> but um, I think that I, I left um, commercial banking and saw an opportunity to create you know, a capital markets platform for another brokerage house that I thought there was an opportunity to do so. And it just didn't have the culture that it needed to survive. And I realized that I was doing this for someone else and I was giving up a big split and Mm -hmm. there was some corporate components to that. And it it just didn't really work as much as I thought that there was that opportunity and I really wanted it to work. It just didn't jive. And I realized after one year that it was, it was just, it was, it was a failure. And I feel, and I realized like if I'm going to be building something and I'm driving my own business and building my own client base and building a platform, um, for me to be successful, I'm going to do it for myself. And that's what kind of drove me back to where I'm at at C2. And cause we really do allow for people to be an entrepreneur and drive Mm -hmm. their own business, but just have some of the tools that can make them that they don't have to worry about, but they, they eat what they kill. And I think that Mm -hmm me failing at doing it for someone else drove me to a place where I could pretty much do it all on my own. Cause, um, I think that's what it's all about. I think it's, mm-hmm. you have more pride, you have more, you know, will to get up in the day, you know, every day and go mm-hmm. at it every day and never give up, right. you know, and every step is a step for, for it. As long as you, you just never give up, you know, it's like push the energy for it and just brings you to that space to do it for yourself and, cool. you know, bring up, bring others up around you. So that was, that was kind of my, a failure that I had that, Kind of brought me to here, and I still got a long ways to go. I'm sure there'll be some more failures, but we'll learn from them. <laughs> well, I think that's what's good about you know being able to get through failures and get to the, to the other side of it is you can learn from them, and you know that you're actually pushing yourself forward, right? If you're pushing yourself forward, then you know you're progressing, and that's key to life, key key to success, I guess. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, anything you want to leave us with? How do you? How does someone find you if they want to find David? You know, Temco, or how? To, you know, like anything you want to leave as far as advice or uh, help to our podcast listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that we're in a great position right now to take advantage of um, some certain mar- some market conditions, and I yeah. think if you're in the mortgage industry, you're going to be in a honey hole for a long time. And if there's any opportunity, if, if there's some qualms that you're having with where you're at from, you know, a retail banking standpoint, and you're considering going to that, you know, the mortgage broker platform, I'd love to, you know, entertain the opportunity for you to come to C2 and see what the values are. Um, from a commercial lending standpoint, I'd love to see an opportunity to help you and your clients. I can, you can see my website. I have a website. It's www.c2commercial.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my baby. Um, you can find me there and reach out to me there. But I think that, you know, this too shall pass in terms of the pandemic, but I think yep. there's some silver linings and, you know, I think that people by and large were social creatures and we're going to be back to kind of cheersing and having good times and going to social gatherings. And I look forward to that opportunity. God, I can't wait to get back to concerts. I love yeah. music. I, I used to, you know, do concerts, but way past life, you know, but 
I miss concerts. I can't wait. I, that's got to happen again. I was, yeah, I was just having a conversation with some some folks from Colorado, and they brought up that Red Rock Amphitheater. I was like, God, wouldn't that be amazing? I want to go yeah. there super bad, but yeah, got to wait in gotta time. Yeah, in, in time. time for sure. So. Well, thanks for watching, everybody, and listening. And uh, please like, share, subscribe. Let us know what you know you'd like to hear on the podcast next, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks for joining me, Dave. Thank you, John. All right, it's great. Awesome. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's fund loans together.